You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. With this being Maundy Thursday, I realized I really didn't have a choice as to the text I would be teaching from. Uh, I had to go to John 13, and so if you have a Bible, I invite you to open to John chapter 13, and I will begin reading in verse 21. John 13, 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, One of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me. And just as I said to the Jews, so I now also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of the Lord. Now the Apostle John, he spent the rest of his life trying to figure out what just happened here. These events, they happened on Bondi Thursday, the night before Jesus was crucified, And these events left him utterly stunned. John was the youngest of all the disciples. Perhaps he was even a teenager at this time. And if I might say so, if this is not heretical, I'd say he was one of Jesus' favorites. And at the Passover meal, he gets to sit next to Jesus. And Jesus, during this time, whispers to him that he is going to be betrayed And Judas is the one who will betray him. And now this had to leave John stunned. I mean, Judas? 
Judas? Of, of all the people, Judas? Why, why Jesus even trusted Judas to take care of the finances. And, and there was an obvious other choice in Matthew who had a financial background, but, but Jesus trusted Judas. Certainly Judas could not be the one who would betray him. And then John hears Jesus say to Judas, what you're going to do, do quickly. Or in other words, Judas, if you're going to do it, do it. And so Judas gets up and he leaves. And the other disciples, they're oblivious as to why Judas is getting up and leaving. But John knows he's the only disciple who actually knows what is going on. And his head is spinning at this point. I'm sure that he's beginning to connect so many dots as this unfolds. This explains why Judas was so angry with Jesus when he accepted Mary's costly gift. This perhaps explains some of the reasons why Judas would leave the group and do something on his own. And he's connecting all these dots. And after Judas leaves, Jesus then, he says, now is the Son of Man glorified. And this statement here had to hit John like a freight train. What are you talking about? Glorified. Glorified? Judas just left to betray you. How in the world can he talk about glory at a time like this? And then John, or John hears Jesus call him little child, little children. It's a sweet, endearing term. And then he says goodbye. He says, I'm leaving you. But before I leave you, I give you one last command. So John's head had to be spinning here. I'm sure his heart was just whirling with emotions. And it is not an overstatement to say that for the rest of John's life, he is going to be trying to figure out what happened here. And he's going to be replaying this scene over and over and over. And we know this because many years later, he actually wrote down this scene for us. But more than that, we notice from his first epistle. If you read through 1 John, it is pretty much just an explanation of what we just read. He's pretty much summarizing and giving thought to the scene that is just played before us. By far, the best commentary that we have on the Gospel of John is 1 John. In 1 John, John uses that same term, endearing term, little children which only occurs in 1 John and in the text we just read. But John loves that term. He loves it so much he uses it seven times in that small letter. And also nowhere else in the Bible will you find the the phrase new commandment except for in 1 John and in the text we just read. But John unpacks this new commandment for us to love one another. Let me give you just a small sampling of, of some of the themes that we find in 1 John. And as I'm reading these verses, I want you to, to hold in your mind the scene that I just read through in John 13. So we have 1 John chapter 2, verse 10. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. Chapter 3, verse 10. 
By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Chapter 3, 14. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers. Chapter 3, verse 16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and, he ought to, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And, who does, and anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Chapter 4, four verse 10. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides on us and his love is perfected in us. Chapter 4, verse 21. In this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. John is going to use that word love 46 times in that small epistle. So you kind of get the feeling that the actions that surrounded that last supper with Jesus left a deep, deep impression on him. Especially that last commandment, that new commandment that Jesus gave them. That they are to love one another just as Christ has loved them. Now the backdrop to this commandment is that Jesus says he is leaving them. And he says that he's leaving them and they're no longer going to be able to follow him. And so the natural question is this. Well, if you're leaving and we can no longer follow you, how is the world going to know that we are your disciples? I mean, up to this point, it's pretty easy to know who followed Jesus and who didn't follow Jesus because followers of Jesus literally followed Jesus. They physically walked with him from town to town. They sat down at his feet. They listened to him teach. They ate meals with him. The disciples, they were identified with Jesus because they were physically present with Jesus. But now what happens? Now that Jesus is going away, and he says that where he's going, they actually cannot physically follow him. And so the question arises, well, how then is the world going to know that we still do follow you and, and we are your disciples? And this is a very relevant question for us because this is where we live. What does following Jesus look like for us? When Jesus is not physically present. And so we hear these words again in verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The world, all people, will still know that you are following me if you love one another. Now, there's a lot that you can unpack there. 
There's a lot that needs to be expounded on as to what Jesus says here. But I'm struck by what Jesus does not say. He, of course, does not say silly things like this, that the world will know that you are Christians by your bumper stickers. They will know that you are Christians by your Facebook posts. Or that the world will know that you are Christians because of your political alignments or because of the music you listen to. Uh, Jesus, he obviously doesn't say silly things like that. But surprisingly, Jesus also doesn't say that the world will know that you are my disciples by your love for God or by the miracles you perform or by your great acts of faith or by your sound doctrine or by your conservative moral values or because you meet every week for worship. He doesn't say any of those things. Instead, he simply says, the world will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Can you love one another? Jesus is telling this group of men that their deep, lived out love for one another will be the single greatest missionary force the world has ever seen. That there is no greater tool for evangelism than loving one another. Now, the Apostle Paul, he understood this. Paul, who was a man of great faith, Paul who performed uh, extraordinary miracles, who, uh, according to Romans, he has pretty good doctrine. Uh, He understood, though, above all of those things, it was the supremacy of love that mattered. It was love that marked a true follower of Jesus. And so we hear these words that he wrote to the Corinthians when he says, if I were to speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and if I understand all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but I have not love, I gain nothing. In other words, it is not your spiritual giftedness, it is not your knowledge, it is not your faith, it's not your generosity, it's not your bravery that ultimately matter. It's your love. Do you love one another? Now, you've got to admit it. It, This is actually kind of hard to believe. At least it is for me. Maybe you're more spiritual than I am, but but I find this hard to believe. And as I'm reading through what Paul is saying here, I'm thinking, really? I mean, really, Paul? You, You think that those things, that love is more important than all these other things? Because I think, honestly, if every person here we were to skip the lunch, we were to go outside, and we were to go out on the streets, and we were to start healing people, legitimately healing people, that people would think Jesus is real and these people are following him. It would testify to Jesus in an extraordinary way. But Paul says, no. He says, even if you were to go outside and you were to command a mountain to get up and to be removed, 
you are to do that and you are to not have love, you're nothing. Nothing. And, and when I hear that, I think perhaps, just perhaps, I do not understand the depth of love that Jesus and Paul are talking about. Thankfully, Jesus, he showed us what this love looks like when he picked up a towel and he wrapped it around his waist and he knelt down before his disciples and he washed their feet. Even washing the feet of the one who would betray him. What a display of love. And we find the power of that love when we look at the diversity of people to whom Jesus said we now need to do that to one another. Just take a close look at those disciples, if you will. Uh, This is a group of very different people. You've got Thomas, good old doubting Thomas, who we bring out every Easter to look at. Uh, Thomas, the cautious one, the skeptical one, always questioning. And then you've got Peter, who is the exact opposite, who's brash, bold. He just jumps right into things, sometimes with good results and sometimes with disastrous results. You have Simon the Zealot. Now, zealots were political extremists who hated the Roman government so much that they would often kill Roman officials. And Simon was so into that political movement that he was simply known as the zealot. That was his nickname. It was his identifying marker. But then you also had Matthew as a disciple who was a tax collector who worked for the Roman government. And you look at this and you think, wow, you you can't have more opposite people than this band of disciples. You couldn't have people who would more naturally hate one another or want to kill one another than this. This is a silly example, but the equivalent I think of is just imagine a Bernie Sanders and a Donald Trump giving each other bro hugs, all right? That, that happens, that happens, and you know that God is real. You, you know that something miraculous has happened for such two polar opposite individuals to come together in love. And listen, if, if the church, which is so filled with different people, could truly love one another, think of the testimony that would be. A love like that is so powerful. Jesus, he tells Peter and Thomas and Simon and Matthew and the sons of thunder, James and John, that if they could truly just love one another, I mean really love one another, then the entire world will take notice and know that you follow Jesus. If you would receive the benediction from me. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you now to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.
and amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.